Welcome back to the Remembering Ethan podcast. My name is Chris Tafoya. My guest today is a man named Alan Chadwick, and there are so many reasons why I love, respect, and admire Alan, and I would like to share five of those reasons with you now. First, Alan is one of the best guitar players I've seen perform live, and I had many years of enjoyment watching him play up close and personal. Second, I met Alan about two months after moving to Phoenix from El Paso, Texas. And in my experience, the scene at the time in El Paso was much different than it was in Tempe. Um, back home, it seemed like the bands were in competition with each other. My band is better than your band type of situation. And Alan was the antithesis of that mind frame. So by example, he showed me how you can be part a supportive part of a musical community and prop up the other musicians around you. Third, Alan designed and built an amplifier that both Dimebag Daryl and Zach Wild played through for a company called Crank Amplifiers based in Tempe. Fourth, Alan recorded my first two albums for just under about 500 bucks. And who knows how many hours he spent engineering, mixing, and mastering both of those records. And they sound great. There's no way we could have achieved the audio quality we got on those first two albums without Alan. And the fifth reason, and one of the biggest reasons I love Alan so much, is because he introduced me to Ethan. Alan spent his time performing and working with Ethan in several different projects, including bands and recording sessions. Most notably, Tate and Capital Down. When I first talked to Alan about my idea to start a podcast for Ethan, he was very supportive and willing to participate. So here's my conversation with Alan Chadwick. I hope you enjoy it. Alan. Hey, thanks for doing this, Chris. Oh, dude, thank you for being here. How's your day? It's going good. Just barely got up. We uh, slept in, and we've been riding our uh, bikes up and down the Willamette River, bar hopping, and uh, and just cruising and having a great time. Nice. Some people might be saying, what river is he by? Because for a long time, you were in Arizona. So recently, yeah, recently I moved to said Oregon. And I described the reason for the move as uh, multifaceted. Uh, partly, it's just a midlife crisis where when I became a programmer and I wasn't stuck with, you know, uh, music in Phoenix because that's where I had any notoriety. Um, I loosened up the old roots. Uh, part of it is because my dad and uh, stepmom are aging and they're in Coos Bay here and I want to be closer to them uh, as they uh, need uh, just a little bit more and more support. Um, and uh, yeah, so those are the, you know, midlife crisis, a little bit of family support, and then just what the heck, you know, Arizona's hot and Oregon's not. So uh, <laughs> that's a good t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man, I mean, you're such a phenomenal guitar player and a huge part of the scene for a long time there in Phoenix. Um, before we start getting into uh, some of the stories that we're going to talk about today, what, what is it that you're up to now? So my last, I would say, professional show was in 2014 with one of John's bands called uh, Georgia Chrome. Um, John from the Chadwicks, um, from, from our past. And so that was really nice to 
to go out the same way I came in, you know, with the same dudes and a working situation. And we just, we worked it up real good. They're still going now. Um, but yeah, I was, I was coding, right? So Mike Hill is responsible for, you know, me being a coder in the sense that bills were getting tough. The 2008 housing crash happened, um, you know, had a relationship um, go a separate way. And, um, you know, music was just getting more and more challenging and, and the parties were really slowing down. I wasn't quite sure if we were worshiping the music gods or the alcohol gods, you know, it became real fuzzy. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I kind of woke up in a cold sweat and just kind of bit the bullet. And I said to Mike Hill, cause he always had, he always had a nice car, honestly. He showed up to the gigs with a, a nicer than a musician car. Right. And I'm like, dude, what, what, what you up to? You know, what do you do during the day? He's like, I code. What was that? He's like, I do this language and computer science. And I'm like, all right, well, maybe that'll work for me, you know? Yeah. So I started to dig into it. He gave me a few pointers on what language to learn, and that was it. Uh, and then um, got some tutors. And so, yeah, so around 2014, the, the, you know, coding for a living and being a software developer uh, took over. Uh, for a while there, I was doing 12, 14-hour days. I was doing gigs at night, working during the day as a coder. But then that, you know, just isn't sustainable. Right. So just been coding, and I still got my studio trophy case. Um, part of the move up here and a little bit of a midlife crisis and just processing the 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 emotions around Ethan and my music career and I mean, Ethan's death was, was also, the, you know, just another nail in the coffin of my music career, so to speak, you know. So uh, before I came up here, I called my old buddy from military school who uh, largely taught me how to play guitar, you know, at, at military school. We became roommates there. And I gave him, like, uh, almost all my gear. And I think I sent you a couple of pieces of yeah, gear as well. So I, I had this shedding moment where I just the weight of the past was too heavy. You know, it was like, a, I'm not using those microphones. It's, it's just doesn't make sense anymore. You know, I still dream about how to get a good snare tone though. I hear a snare <laughs> on, the, on the radio and I'm like, God oh, damn, how far was that from the, from the center? What angle was it? You know, was that a 57? Did they replace the transformer? What's the power supply rocking out to the mic freeze? You know, I still have that in me, but it's just software now. I just apply those, um, you know those skills now to uh, big corporations and it's still it's still a showbiz game like nobody knows what you do at a technical level in software so you know you get judged on how you present your work not on the actual merits of your work mm -hmm. so it's still show business so you know you're the reason that i knew ethan and um i want to talk real quick about how i met you and then how you led me to ethan and it was pretty cool how we met um, so I had moved to Phoenix in 2000 to teach. And right away, I started putting ads out in the New Times because I was looking for other musicians just to vibe with or jam with or whatever. And then uh, the next week when my ad came out, I came across your ad, which you were looking for a roadie of sorts for someone because you were tired of setting up and tearing down your gear after shows, you know. So and I think you were... Uh, asking for someone to help you in exchange for like studio time or guitar lessons or like a bartering sort of thing. So I called you up and you said, oh yeah, yeah, come down to Tempe, meet me at this place. It's a steakhouse on Mill Avenue, blah, 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 blah. We're doing a Halloween show. And I was like, all right. So I go down there 
and you left my name at the front. So I'm already like, wow, this is cool. You know, I'm on the VIP list. So at least he didn't like to pay a cover. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys, uh, we're all dressed like Oompa Loompas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, they were the best Oompa Loompa costumes I've ever seen, dude. <laughs> I mean, you had the makeup, the dress, everything. And then you busted into like uh, that one too. It's a surprise to me. Oh, my own worst enemy, Lit, because Lit was big back then yeah yeah that was a mainstay in cover bands back in the back in the right. yeah every cover right band had to do that tune and then after that you did another tune and you were just like wailing on your guitar and i was like whoa wow this guy's like amazing you know so i go and i talked to you afterwards and that, that was surreal because you were you had your makeup on and everything and you were kind of like giggling too like must be weird for you to be talking to me like this <laughs> And then, anyway, dude, you were so awesome and kind, generous and cool. I mean, right away, you had me in your studio. Uh, you had me around all these awesome musicians. And then I got, I started doing my own thing. And then through the new times, I met Randy. Randy and I started doing our thing. And then around 2003 or four, I decided that I wanted to do Battle of the Bands. So I was, I asked you if you wanted to do it with me, but you had like a bunch of things going on. So you were like, well, maybe not me but there's this guy and uh he's kind of a, a package deal because he comes with this other guy uh ethan newman and tony king and they're like a rhythm section and they're always down they're super cool guys always down to jam with someone so i figured out where ethan was playing went and watched him and uh was blown away by his charisma by his skill so i didn't bother talking to him you know because i was way too intimidated so you i talked to you and you were like did you Talk to Ethan. I was like, no, dude, I, I can't talk to that guy. You were laughing. You go, man, you have no idea how cool Ethan is. He's not going to be, he's not going to do that to you. Okay. Come, to, we're doing an open mic at this place called Jillian's and come and just get up on stage and jam with them and you'll see, you know? So I went and he's sure enough, dude. I mean, Ethan was just amazing. Yeah, that was it. That was it. And then from then on, it was just, uh, you were just in, in my circle. And we would, uh, you know, we would orbit around every once in a while and get something done. And we got some recordings done, you know. Uh, gosh, that was so fun. You know, that was just just in the evening or something. You'd come over for a few hours and we'd get Tony in there. And we had that, that my old Gretsch drum set. Yeah, mm -hmm. so many, like, hours and days and years and months of just random, like, music scene stuff, right? Like, when, yeah. when you're in that music scene, you're just... You're just staying busy, doing what you can, you know, and when, when you get together at Ethan's house or something, it's like, look at everybody, you know, look at us, yeah. you know, scrounging out a music existence here. Yeah. Now, for me, it was huge, man, because when I came into that scene, you guys were all awesome and amazing. And then I felt an inept of sorts, but not really because you guys were all so cool, except for the time that I tried uh, warming up for you in your place with the Chadwicks. That was kind of oh, that was awful. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I put you through that. So yeah, the Chadwick's got a little political there, you know, for a while. We were we had been together a long time and, and four just dudes stuck in a cover band together, you know, bouncing off the walls, doing everything, everybody's moving on, trying to trying to make their way. A couple of us were doing better than others and and um, you know, as any social clique goes, I, some efficiencies would be dis disagreed upon, right? So I just wanted to, you know, have you go and set my stuff up. And then I think one trip to Martini Ranch or whatever. So they, 
they didn't want that because then because they could do it or whatever and then nothing would make sense or i don't even know but they were they were not the nicest about that i was really disappointed in them on that <laughs> it's okay though man you know it, it, it didn't affect me as much as like and i really appreciate you were like oh man i'm so sorry dude you know i'd only known you about a year or so you're like i apologize for it. i was like it's cool man it's cool no problem but anyway, man, you know, it was just awesome meeting you and you introduced me to so many people. And then Ethan's probably the brightest sun in that planet, that, you know, in that solar system that you introduced to me. And so uh, so you introduced him to me in 2003-ish. How long had you known him before um, you suggested that I jam with him? Do you remember what year you met him in? Man, that was so... I can... I can tell you by my stress dreams, right? Like I, I kind of quit the Chadwick's on a, uh, on a whim, you know, it was real, it was real, uh, surprise seat of the pants kind of thing. Things were going on. The, the band was kind of tearing at its, at the seams. Uh, we were always having the same struggles creatively. You know, we were judging each other a little bit and, um, you know, some of us weren't, <laughs> some of us would do th certain things well and other things really poorly. And then we would always just blame each other for the, the gaps. But yeah, I, uh, one day, you know, we just got into a little tiff and I said, that's it. I quit the chat. And, and then I just, uh, you know, it was like eight, nine, 10 years straight of, of like only having to work three days a week, bought my first house on that music money. You know, everything was paid for. I just had to like, you know, keep putting up with the, the band situation. And, and it was that, you know, like all things, you know, growth is a bit of a pressure cooker. So I just remember waking up, like not being able to sleep for a couple of nights, like, oh my God, what do I do with my life? I don't know how to do anything but play guitar. Uh, here I am quitting the chatter. It's the only thing that's ever paid my bills in my whole life, you know, except for like odd jobs at, you know, minimum wage sandwich shops or, or I was a lifeguard for two seconds. And, um, so there was a year there where John was really nice and he'd still give me all the Chadwick shows that I could, uh, that I needed to, to support myself, even though I kind of bowed out. So that was a really, you know, the official, um, I quit the Chadwick's happened, but, but I, I kept gigging for, you know, rock lobster for the Chadwick's. I still do that. And, and John, you know, bless him. He, he just, he kept giving me enough shows to, to pay the bills. And only when I finally got going in a band called Tate, which is Todd, Alan, Tony, and Ethan, or Tony, Alan, Todd, and Ethan, what have you, uh, where we where we started getting a, a lot of shows. And that band was right off of another band called uh, uh, Who's Your Daddy, which uh, Todd, Tony, and uh, Ethan were, no, not Tony, let's see, Todd and Ethan were in Who's Your Daddy, and uh, Dean, a wonderful guitar player if you haven't met him um yeah we got to introduce you guys. talking about dean miller yeah 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 i know dean yep we're gonna talk soon and he went he went on he knows a lot about ethan he goes back even further than me with ethan and uh and he went on to do uh curious george which was just immensely successful um you know I, i'd have been smart to try to be a part of that but i just love it that we all mixed and matched and everything everybody turned out in a really good spot so um that was it right around, I want to say, um, right around 2001-ish. And, and, and before that, there's a good chance, you know, me and Ethan swam in some circles. But boy, right when you get with Ethan and we started that band up, it was just immediate. Um, we clicked. We got some work done. 
and we were gigging and uh, it was working out you know I, I i couldn't believe it i had i found another income opportunity after the chadwicks and so i could continue to be a pro musician so that was your first uh, main project together then so like tate kind of brought ethan into your life you were hunting for a bass player and he came along kind of yeah i mean that's how you met him. I, I wish i knew i mean it's going to come to me at some point i'll call you but like my gosh he was just always there you know and then i was i was so stressed out at that point in my life i just whoever you know big bar and steel whoever whatever the next thing has to be man let's go let's let's lock it in let's get some gigs man <laughs> let's go you know i was just trying to uh, you know stay pro i remember i remember those years because you know you and i had just met so um, you were so yeah. cool because you would call me and be like, you know, kind of shake my brain around trying to like figure out <laughs> some ideas or what you should do. Or there was even a couple times where you were working on your own solo stuff and you had me come over and just kind of like sit there while you sang and kind of give you some pointer or not pointers, but you know, some encouragement, stuff like that. I know you were definitely searching for um, something solid that you could uh, take on the road and, you know, make some good cash and have fun with and. I mean, I think that uh, Tate, you know, that you definitely got into a better situation with Tate. And then after that, you know, Capital Down. I mean, I, I would always go watch you guys, you know, because Randy and I would have gigs earlier in the evening that we'd do like happy hours. And so after the happy hours, we'd go hit the bars that you guys were in because I knew Ethan was going to call me up on stage just to be around you guys. So it's not like you can remember the very first time you guys played together or anything like that, right? Is it all just kind of a big fuzz in your head now? I can't, yeah. It's, it's totally a blank. Um, and it, it's probably just my old age. But, I mean, Ethan just, and you as well, you know, it's just once you get past a certain, like, um, amount of time, it's just, you just go back to that epoch, and, and that's what everybody is. I I'm, I'm embarrassingly don't remember the first time I ran into Ethan because as soon as I started hanging out with Ethan, it was like, uh, you know, we're doing this, and, and uh, we're in a band. And then, and then, you know, the coolest thing about Ethan is right when we started going for silly reasons, the perception was, is that for that moment, I maybe, maybe was the most successful dude in the band, you know, with the most notoriety coming off of uh, the Chadwick's and everything. And, and it's, you know, how reputations are. And, and so Ethan would always do this thing, like, he would just make me feel so special because we'd be doing a crappy gig at some crappy bar and we'd move, move a table and put a crappy setup and, and just do the thing. And in, in my mind, I was just so thankful to be up and running again, you know, and to have another opportunity to be in a pro band. Um, and maybe I probably didn't show it, but, you know, the, in my heart, that's what was going on. And uh, he would always just encourage me. And there, I'd be, there'd be so many, just hundreds of moments where we'd be loading in, doing the hard work of music, right? This is where you just pull it out of the back of your car and you don't know where to set up and you've got 45 minutes to play. And, uh, and you'd just be like, dude, hang in there, man. It's going to be a great night. It's going to be awesome. I know you're not used to these like crappy venues and stuff that with, with like, you know, nobody around or whatever, just running our own PA. But dude, hang in there. It's going to be, it's going to be great. You're going to rock out. And I would just look at him like, what are you saying? Like, dude, I'm in this for, I'm a lifer, man. I'm a musician. Like, I don't need no encouragement. Like this is, this is the juice right here. Every night we're going to get some juice on stage. And uh, he was just such a fellow soldier in that area. And I just always thought it was the cutest thing that he would stop and encourage me. Like, I'm like, man, don't I, don't I show passion or something? Like, dude, I'm in this. Like, you don't got to encourage me to like get on stage and do this. But, um, 
it was so cute. You know, he, he just, he just would always, and I remember his, he'd be wheeling his bass rig in and I'd be wheeling my guitar rig in. We found out where to go. And it was just so many moments like that, just condensed into like, you know, he was so encouraging to everybody. Yeah. He was just like that consistently, man, to everyone he knew, you know, and, and, I've only talked to, you know, you're the fourth guy now, but their stories are filled with that too. You know, him just being generous with his time and encouraging and kind and awesome like he was. Well, speaking of, you know, those, that first project you, that you were in with them with Tate um, and you, you know, ha- it being kind of fuzzy, dialing in on any one particular gig, but out of all those gigs that you guys played and all your projects together and stuff, are there any special gigs that stick out in your memory? Like any, Thing that happened during a particular gig or is there oh, or or across all of them is there something that he would do at gigs that stuck with you i mean you know i mean uh, that, what the, comes to mind the the the, the story the, the lists so we got to go over the todd demo and you got to talk to todd too i mean he goes way back with ethan as well and july uh 30th we're talking on 30th todd and i perfect perfect and you got to hit him up on this demo i i think that I think that in hindsight, you know, he he maybe thought it was funny or less funny, but we really took some pot shots at Todd. So, uh, and the, you know, that's one thing. But I, I think the overarching thing to mention about playing with Ethan is that there's always an inside joke happening 100% of the time. We I realized when we had a gig in Alaska, and at that gig in Alaska, they, they used the room for a stand-up comedian beforehand. And what I realized is we, you know, there's this synergy between comedians and and, uh, musicians, right? Like musicians all fancy themselves comedians that can tell a joke or something. And and comedians all fancy themselves musicians. So like the the comedian that was there that night, we totally made friends with him. And he wanted, he was dying to sing a Doors song. So we're like, come on up, sing a Doors song. And then while you're there, we'll try to make jokes, right? We'll all just do, we're all just crossing over for a second. And so, you know, of course, like in a Westworld out of time kind of way, what I realized was that's the best way to describe being in a band with Ethan is like showing up that night and your, your first job is just to physically get the show on the road. Your second job, like right after your first job is to establish for the evening, what will be the sarcastic backdrop of the entire night. It could be, it's (laughs) like, it's like showing up with Ethan was like, what's going to, what's our muse this evening? Who's the craziest person in the room? Did you see that chick over there? The fuck is that? You know, what, what is this guy? Okay, this guy just asked for a song, or this guy's asking for this, and this guy wants to play up the stage. So it could be people, right? It could just be us and something that's happened to us or some news thing that we learn, and then we make jokes about it, um, and, and we look at each other, and all night long, it would just it would persist. And, and the quality of an evening with, with a gig with Ethan would, would be in, in jokes, you know, it would always be a damn joke. And and the way Mike and Ethan would mess with the lyrics of songs, it would get to the point where... Mike Hill or Mike... Oh, Mike Mercer. Mike Mercer and Ethan with the lyrics of songs, it would get to the point where if we had a proper corporate wedding type show where we, we had to put on our, like, A game, right? And we got... It's like, oh, this is the one where you just play it like it is. Like, we're, we're going to tone this down. It's not like Kokomo Joe's, okay? And, uh... And we couldn't, we couldn't for the life of us remember the original lyrics to some of these things because the joke, <laughs> the joke had taken over. Do you remember any of them? 
Oh God! Just every time there's a a, a thing in a song that, that could you could make a joke about, it just would it would happen. Um, I mean, Mike Mercer probably has the funny ones. You, you could probably like play him a couple notes of one of the crappy songs we had to play over and over, and he'd pick the bat, the wrong words first. <laughs> well, you guys are always goofing around and stuff. I remember, um, remember Pat from Sugar Daddies who uh, booked all the bands. Yeah. And then uh, when you guys would play at Sugar Daddies, uh, you would crack Pat up because you do that Led Zeppelin, that tiny little there, 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 there from Led Zeppelin. <laughs> and Pat would be like back there at the sound, you know, sound booth, like trying to, and you guys would go there, 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 and he would just ah, he'd start laughing and he'd be like, you guys, you fuckers better knock it off or whatever. And, but he loved it, but he would love when you do it, you know. And then yeah. Ethan would always do his little, you know, his little signs, and then you guys would dare, 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 dare. <laughs> yeah. And that was one of the things I loved about watching you and whatever incantation of band or like version of guys that you were playing with, Ethan. It was just like Ethan, you know, not on purpose, just naturally being the one that the charismatic one that you watch, and you're not because he was like, hey, look at me. It just what he just was like that. And then, and then what was funny for me was to look over at you while you were playing, because you would just be looking at Ethan laughing your ass off. <laughs> and, and, I, and I also used to be impressed that Ethan would distract you so much, but you would never miss a note on your guitar because you're just so good, you know. But, um, and then Tony in the back cracking up at everybody. And then uh, whether it was, well, with Todd, it was Todd in the front ignoring all of you. Just yes. Kind of, <laughs> and then with, Mike was definitely more, you know, interactive with all you guys. But yeah, man, it was so fun to watch you guys play. Oh gosh, you know, and we Ethan was so good. Well, everybody was so good and so talented. We could we could roll songs on the fly, and Ethan knew every song in the world. So even if we went to a thing where somebody called out his tune, and and Ethan's like, "No, we know this one." I'm like, no, Ethan, we don't. I literally have no idea what song this is. And, uh, and he's like, dude, you'll be fine. Don't worry, I'll, I'll, call the, I'll call the chords out. And so we'd establish the key. And then he would sing a song. And in between playing bass, he would like throw me the chords. He'd be like, this is one, four, five, one, four, six, one. And he would just throw me the chords. And I would like nail into the chords. And it was like, that's how cool that group was, is that we could just you know, hack through songs. I mean, you wouldn't want to hear the recording of it, but we could get we could get through it enough, you know, where nobody was upset. And we, we kind of, you know, hacked away through some music. Um, and it was so amazing that, you know, we could just do that. Dude, everyone I've spoken to so far has brought up Ethan's ability to get you through a tune you don't know. And I told the story to one of the other guys about the first time he pulled that on me, you know. And then how relaxed, how, how much he chills you out after you go, no, dude, no, I can't, you know, don't worry. And then everything you just said he would do. And then next thing you know, uh, you'd be done with the tune. And you're like, whoa, I just played a song I've never played before. Wow. He was just awesome at that. You know, and like, like that seems to be something that was a huge influence that he imparted to all of us, you know, because like, even in, in stuff I did in other bands or with Randy or even on my own, like I keep that in mind, always knowing where the one is, always being aware of the structure of the tune, um, in addition to many other lessons. But what about 
what about you did he like influence your your musical ability or like teach you any kind of lessons as far as your instrument goes or even in life for that matter i mean like what kinds of things did you take away with ethan that are still a part of you i mean it's got to be positivity right you know and i i think he i realized quite quickly i mean from from his jazz records and jazz videos and and how he would once in a while just learn some crazy new jazz riff and i'd be like what the hell and he he had taken a real bite out of that music you know and, and his early career as a a bass player in country bands around you know hickville arizona you know just all over the place i mean he was just born to shred that guy and if there's something you thought you invented or something, he'd probably been there musically and done it and dominated it and played this weird ass upside down lefty bass player thing going on. And he could still uh, take anybody else's guitar, turn it over and just, you know, totally nail it. Um, what he taught me was just through example, just being a solid positive dude, you know, saying yes to all opportunities that come his way. You know, even if you didn't have time, you'd just say yes to stuff, you know, and then it would just stagnate on the vine. But once in a while, it would bear fruit. And I'd be like, that guy just says yes to things, man. There's a, there's a whole, that's a whole lifestyle unto itself. It's like just saying yes to things that come your way, uh, opening up that opportunity. I mean, I could never manage as many people as he knew and got along with. I mean, my it just became apparent right away. Like this guy's horizons are 180 degrees. You know, it's like I can only deal with so much so in so many ways. And like my my horizons are just like this. And of course, Ethan's always, a, you know, a member of everybody's horizons. Next thing I was going to talk to you about was just, you know, aside from the from the music and the shows and all that, you know, my favorite part of talking to people is just hearing about Ethan's stories, you know, any kind of Ethan story. And I know that there's tons. Yeah. I've got all my own stories, but. Do you have any any stories to tell? Infinite, it's an infinite amount of stories, and he he's such a positive force. He like um, he attracted stalkers, so he had a straight up uh, crazy lady stalker for quite a long time, and it, it just became like a a thing. He would show up to shows and be like, she she's, she's, she she got my phone over again or something or she's texting me or she's saying that she's being held hostage and I need to help her and I'm the only one that can save her and I'm the only one that knows and she shows up to a show and then she disappears and then I don't he just attracted that kind of uh, he just was one of those people that was so relatable to so many humans that people could seek him out as like a point of refuge like you're the only one that understands me because he was just that way. So, I mean, yeah. um, the other thing is that that Todd demo. So, let me, I, I'm not going to do it justice, you know. You get, you, there's got to be a few drinks and, and a few more people involved to add color, but... Um, it would almost be cool, like, if we had every, all the involved parties on the Zoom call right now. <laughs> right, right. We could all do the demo. And I've got to give you some recordings as well. Um, long story short, okay, so fans... We're always making demos. We're, we're in my studio recording music, just covers, you know, so that we can eat, uh, like mail it out to wedding planners and just anybody give us a gig. Um, and then, you know, on CD back in the day. Um, so 
we were recording a demo and, and you know, creative people getting involved, saying it should be one way or the other, the mix, the, uh, you know, the, the editing, whatever it is, right? And, and at that point, I was fairly confident in my skills and I, I always thought it was cute if somebody that couldn't do recordings from scratch, you know, had opinions about how they should unfold. And so we would always have these great uh, creative arguments about how things should go. And for whatever reason, you know, Todd came to the surface of like, um, you know, having opinions about the recordings and the quality and, and all that stuff. And uh, I think one time he was late to a session or something. We're like, so you, you got all a bunch of opinions, but you're late. And then another time, uh, remember Doug Bale, he, he knew Photoshop. And so he was doing the cover, the cover art, you know, and then uh, <laughs> yeah. for, like we took a picture of on the train track of, of, of us. Right. And he didn't like how his crotch was sitting on the photo. You know, it was like he was just like flapping the wrong way or something in the wind. And the pants just make it look like he didn't have a proper, you know, situation going on. And so, like, he had Doug, like, edit his, edit his little area there to make it look good. And not, not like, you know, to put a cucumber in there, but just so they can make it look like, you know, it, like the seam went up at the proper length and stuff. So, I mean, any of us could get caught making ourselves look better on Photoshop. But he did it, and we found out about it. And so we just razzed him endlessly. And we ended up making a, a fake demo because he was so stressed out about it. Before he got to give the final approval, he had to go away on vacation or something somewhere. And so he's like, I got, I'm trusting you guys to finish this just right. I'm trusting you to not mess this up, right? And he just did it in a way that just, like, <laughs> challenged us. And so we proceeded to spend, like, uh, an entire day. Like, we wasted so much time on this demo. And after we found out that he Photoshopped his own crotch, like, we, <laughs> we went full bore into it. We went full bore. We... We dropped so many goose eggs in, in the Photoshop. We had Doug just working around the clock. We're like, make his head bigger. Okay. Now, and we were just like <laughs> photoshopping the hell out of the thing, like just doing everything we could to just subtly, subtly just make him crazy, right? We distorted some things in there. We, he was such a, um, a speller. Like he was, he's very educated. He does math and English. And he comes from like the school system, right? Just happens to be a great musician as well and singer and and so he and i spell like crap because whatever so he he would always get spelling mistakes and you know i'd always make him so we just spelled everything wrong we spelled like beetles wrong we like we like we messed up everything on the flyer we sprinkled spelling mistakes everywhere distorted his head made his crotch all wrong and just everything and and we just put so much effort into it i went and i took all those bad takes those bad singing takes and I, I jacked <laughs> so all of his bad takes I put in and then even one of them like I even put in some of my bad takes I, I'm a horrible singer it's like the story of my the end of my music career is trying to sing but um I even put in some of my singing takes like because it was like oh should Todd sing that or should Alan sing that well obviously Todd's the right answer so I put in my crappy takes on that and and we told him that we we told him that we sent this demo out to like 30 professional organizations right and we couldn't keep a straight face when we went to our gig the first time after we'd done all days of efforts on this uh, we, we recorded you know re-edited everything remixed it just for him just this one demo this total sarcastic demo with everything wrong in it in the world and we couldn't keep it together the whole night he didn't know what was going on somehow at the end of the gig we like we nobody could give it to him in person because we would all, all laugh 
So yeah. we propped it up on his on his car, like before the end of the game. We all, we all ran home because we couldn't face him because it would be we would laugh too hard and we would let it out of the bag, right? So we somehow over the next day uh, didn't let it out of the bag, and and Todd would would dial us up around the clock like all night. I just heard the I, heard, I just heard the third track, and you got the wrong dubbings wrong. And then, he, and then, like an hour later, like I just read the cover, and you guys spelled every fucking word wrong, you know. And so, it was like twenty-four hours of just like he was in hell. He even emailed a bunch of people that that was the wrong demo, and don't listen to it, even though we sent out the right. One. So, and those people were like, "What are you talking about?" We got, we got so much mileage out of that. It, it was like Ethan's top story ever he's like this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me <laughs> that we did that fake demo and we had Todd going so hard and we I still have recordings of him just leaving so he'd leave a message on Ethan's machine you guys fucked it up so bad how do, how could you do this I just barely left and it was looking better before I left and then you wrecked everything <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know, with musicians and egos, it was just like, man, we got so much mileage. How long did you let that go? I mean, how long till you finally let him in on the joke? Well, when once he started like contacting people saying that they got the wrong demo, we're like, well, we can't let this go too much further. <laughs> so we got we got like about a day on it. We got about a day. Like we got we left them with the the fake crappy demo at the night of one gig. And then by the time we showed up to the next gig the next day, we all had to fess up to it. And I don't, I don't know if he thought it was as funny as we thought it was, but, it, it, you know, we got so much mileage out of that. That is a great story, dude. Oh, that's hilarious. If you, and I can just ask, imagine. Ask Ethan's Tony about that one. Laugh. Oh, God. Ask uh, Todd. Ask Tony and Todd about that one. So, like, me and, uh, yeah, he would leave a message for, for Ethan. And then so Ethan would call me and play the message back to me and then we would get on you know we would just like play each other messages and then tony would be like dude he left me a message let's do his message it was so funny we were so proud of ourselves for for just yanking his chain like that it was so hilarious dude and being in a band with ethan and tony both i mean both of those guys could cut up and feed off of each other and oh you remember you remember tony's imitation of a of a flaccid penis oh my god remember that? oh my or god like going from a flaccid state to a more erect state <laughs> he was so good at it where he flopped down Dude. and he'd move his head a little bit and slowly like sit up <laughs> <laughs> oh my god the things the things that we did it was so fun it was like being in it being in an eighth grade slumber party every single minute oh, in those bands was just like and tate especially like and capital down of course like we were there for us like no shit like sure you know i want the crowd to like it but tough titties if you don't we got jokes <laughs> if you're not into it we got a whole <laughs> situation of jokes that we're gonna do <laughs> do you remember in ethan's um single days where you play a gig and more than one chick that he was juggling at the time would show up to the gig. Oh, that was a whole genre of it. I think that happened to <laughs> I think that happened to Tony as well. And uh yeah, we would we would end up having signals and I remember 
at least a couple times at a place called uh oh what was um on the Scottsdale Road Baja something or other Baja Joe's um, or something. um he had oh um dude I was just thinking about this place the other day it was a really cool dude man. he was he used to always say like it's not next it's not Mexican, it's Mexican. Like he was such, it was, yeah. uh, I think his name was Flippa or Flippas or something, right? Yeah, Flippas, Flippas. Yeah. That was the name of it. Yeah. I remember, I remember one That was a cool was, bar. Yes, yes, yeah. It was a great place and he was so nice and we were like regulars there. Yeah. And uh, I remember one time we were supposed to take a break and Ethan decided that if he took a break now, like he would have to deal with the situation. <laughs> yes. He's like, no break, guys. Please, no break. We're like, come on, Ethan. We want, a, we want a break. He's like, nope, nope. We're going next. <laughs> we're like, okay, okay, Ethan. <laughs> he did that to me at Sugar Daddy's once. Like, no I'm break, like, bro. No break. We're playing through. Yeah. He was, and he would do that thing where he'd snap his fingers. Come on, next song, next. <laughs> and I went. I'll go, dude. What's going on? He goes, oh man, there's like. There's like three chicks here that I want to come up walking to me at the same time. We can't take a break right now. It just can't happen. Oh, and it wasn't it wasn't flippas, it was flickas. Flickas, yes, flickas, thank you. But yeah, I did a couple of those gigs with Ethan too, man, where he did not want to be out in the audience. <laughs> that was so funny too, man. It was like, man, how do you get yourself in this situation, you know? And then, uh, well, that's, that's, that's just saying yes to everything, right? So everybody thinks that, like, <laughs> you know, everybody's, like, allowed to believe that, like, you're Ethan's, uh, you know, inner circle. But really, he's, he's... So, you know, what would you tell someone who didn't know Ethan? How would you describe him? Well, you know, if, if all knowledge is experiential, then the way I would describe Ethan would be, you'd have to be some sort of monster to not within minutes, hours, or days understand how lucky you are to know him. So, and how unique he was. And, and mind you, I mean, this is, this is after a career of dealing with him and stuff. It's, it's not all peaches and cream, you know I mean? He can make you mad just like anybody else. He can, you know, just overextend himself and run out of time or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, th I think that for, for people that never knew Ethan, that want to know what he was like, he, he just swam in all circles. He was capable of so much. And he had all the makings of just the most amazing, successful bass player ever. Like his skills and talents on the bass were just, you know, so extraordinary as a musician, just as a pure musician. And everything else is just butter on top. But it, but it even included just his musicianship. He was as good a human being as he was a musician. Um, so, I mean, here's a story. Uh, in my mind, I always was so impressed with his talents as a bass player. I, I got a phone call one time from one of his girlfriends. And I woke up out of a dead sleep. So this was real early in the morning. And the girlfriend said to me, Alan, Ethan's in pink. Ethan's in pink, you know? 
So what she meant was that he had gotten arrested for a DUI and was wearing pink underwear in Sheriff Joe Arpaio's fucking outside, outside prison. That's what she was telling me. What I heard, Christopher, what I heard was the following. In my mind, I thought that motherfucker, I knew it. I knew he would always get picked up by a better band and now he's playing for pink. I knew it. Like, <laughs> like Ethan was such a wild card. You could play for him for years and you would you would not be surprised if somebody just called you and be like, yeah, no, he's touring with, with Metallica now. Sorry, like he's not going to be available right. for the next Kokomo Joe's gig. I'm like, yep, okay, that makes sense. That fits. He got picked up on a national tour. He just didn't tell me he was auditioning, but I, I totally get it, you know. And then she's like, no, no, he got arrested for a DUI. I'm like, oh, well, that does make more sense, doesn't it? <laughs> Oh, dude, I remember uh, after a gig. Oh, I, so I had a really early morning deal to do at the school that I was teaching at. And we had a gig at Sugar Daddy's. And so I was like, determined not to drink. or I, I wasn't going to have anything to drink, you know, that kind of thing. And even the torture that all the guys in the band put me through, I still managed not to drink. So we were after it was after the gig and we were all putting our stuff away or whatever. And Ethan goes, Hey, Tafoya, come over here. I go over here. He goes, blow on this thing for me real quick. <laughs> he had one of those machines on his truck. And his truck wouldn't turn on unless a, a sober person blew in it, you know. He goes, just, just blow on this thing real quick. Nice and, nice, nice and strong, you know. And do it for like a good five seconds. And oh, my God. Me and, you, me and you both, my friend, we probably blew into the same tube to get him home from gigs. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but he tricked me, you know, I didn't know that's what he was trying to elicit me into illegal act activities. <laughs> you know, being in a band, you know, and, you know, the conflicts arise, right? You have a lot of good times, the conflicts arise too. And you, and you kind of mentioned it just a little bit ago when you were describing Ethan, but can you remember any specific arguments or conflicts that you guys had and, and, and how they were resolved or what they were about or how you, how Ethan would go about handling that kind of dynamic of your friendship together or how you guys would get over the conflicts or arguments. Did you have any, you know, I'm trying to think it, I don't know if this was, you know, part of his character. I don't know if this, you know, would, would reconcile on, on him. Cause a hundred percent chance that we had, um, disagreements but it usually involved uh, more than a group of people if it was just you and Ethan it just felt like you came to a conclusion and that was good and that was it like it just seemed like if it was just you and Ethan we were working in the studio they would just take no time at all for one of us to just agree to something reasonable or maybe he was more um, liquid and, and, and just said you know sure we'll do it that way and, and wasn't a problem I think what what <clears throat> What came up often for me was just uh, when it came to managing other people in the band, he would end up having a, a super positive relationship with everybody on an individual basis. But then, but then there would always be a group thing where it's like, okay, but as a group, all of our opinions aren't actually fitting in the freaking opinion hole for us to do something, you know, together at the same time for the same reason or the same music or whatever the fuck it was. And, um, and so that, that's where I would be like, oh, you fall, you got to fall into place at a systems level. You can't just fall into place like, well, everybody individually agrees with what Ethan wants. But, you know, if we have to choose one thing and there's not. So I think, you know, he was interesting that way where, you know, he 
you individually always thought that you, you were agreeing with Ethan and he would be on the agreeing team and he'd say yes to a practice, yes to learning a song or something, yes to something. But, you know, 100% of the yeses did not materialize. So I would often challenge him like, Ethan, you're just saying yes to things, but you're not going to cash that shit. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to actually do that. Or this band as a whole isn't going to like accomplish that or whatever it is, and, you know, but I never, I never remember any real hard feelings. I think that, and maybe this is a testament to the, the way that we used uh, chemicals and alcohol and stuff was, was like, uh, it, we would just wash it away in the ocean of like, uh, drugs and alcohol we would just end up getting all those endorphins and chemicals rocked out with the with the stuff and then we'd always be buddy buddy because you know if there was any hard times you could just lubricate it out of the way and, and we'd get along again you know so I, I would I would have some growing long-term resentment just over this overall success of the band and um, the way I remember it and of course it may look different from a security camera perspective but like um I would just be like, are we reaching our full potential as a band? You know what I mean? I see this amazingly talented band that can't get through a gig because we drink too much or whatever, or we can't get the good gigs because we're just so goofy and we, we make jokes all the time. So I, I, I had some long-term resentment from that, but, but I mean, the, the world that I envision might be a, a hellhole of shitty corporate gigs. So, you know, at some point I, I really wanted to pay my mortgage <laughs> Which, which, so then that, yeah. that's when you talked to Mike Mike Hill about how he had that awesome Jeep he was driving around in. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, that, I, you didn't get that from the Kokomo Joe's money. Uh, I just gave you last week. <laughs> totaled 113 dollars. From the 50 bucks yeah. left over from uh, yeah. that that Jeep ain't music money. <laughs> Do you remember the last gig you played with Ethan? Oh my or god! The last time, one of the last times you ever performed with him. Man, oh man! You know, we kind of we we kind of bumped her a little bit. You know, we'd start me and Mike would uh, start working with uh, various drummers and, and bass players. Um, I don't know how Capital Down stepped going. I, I I think I was trying to phase Capital Down out for a while. I don't think I I don't think I paid anybody for like four or five months straight, and we kept doing it. We just kept doing it. I'm like, can somebody take over the freaking you know the check stuff and then you know. And then finally, like, we just had this big payout. But, uh, you know, everybody just did it because they just loved Ethan and we, you know, we loved the situation and we just got our entertainment needs met on a personal basis and we're making money doing it. So I'm going to say the, one of the last gigs, um, I think, was at Rula Bula on Mill. That, that turned out to be a good place for Capital Town. Real small place. Um, for whatever reason, the last couple of years there, I got a really nice PA. So we were starting to sound pretty decent. We got that digital board. and um, Those are the good times. And that was, man, I, that last gig at Rula Bula just tore my heart out of my soul. I had put so much into Capital Down. I tried to keep it booked. Um, and those guys would book it once in a while as well. And, of course, we all did our part. But I just put so much emotional energy into that. That last gig at Rula Bula, man, I think I cried that whole night. I was so, I was super extra drunk too and emotional, but man, that loadout was, was like, it was like leaving school or something, you know, it was just like another era in my life. It just, just passed. 
and um, I was just about to join John's country band um, full time, and and really I thought I was I was going to be done with music, but then I I couldn't refuse you know teaming back up with John again because we had so much success. But man, that 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 loadout was the hardest loadout. Just saying goodbye to everybody and knowing that this this whole reason to come together on a regular basis and have fun and and just get your creative juices you know flowing was, was over that was uh that was one of the biggest you know endings that i can remember in my whole life how about a conversation do you remember one or close to one of the last conversations you ever had with ethan i do we had a really long conversation over the phone and i was i was here in oregon and the guy studied like so many other things in college. Him and Todd used to have these super brainy conversations when we were on road trips. And the last conversation I had with him was us debating the merits of Sam Harris versus Noam Chomsky. Of all the freaking things that you know people are into, he knew something about everything. And so he, we talked about his stalker that had surfaced again and, and given him some form of, of communication in a mailbox or something weird. And then we talked about Chomsky and Sam Harris and just the meaning of life and the whole freaking thing, the whole thing. Like, I just remember how brainy his conversations were and how smart he was and how much fun we had talking. And, and I told him I loved him on that phone call. I mean, it was, it was, it was the ultimate best last conversation if, if there ever has to be one. And, uh, and I told him how much it meant <clears throat> to have spent all that time with him. Yeah. You're really lucky to have had that conversation with him, man, to remember it so vividly. You know, I'm assuming it was close to the time that he passed away. It wasn't too far off from uh, December of 2020. And it was, it was, it was before he. It was before he got sick. I didn't even know until he was on his deathbed, so I didn't get a chance to talk to him again. Because um, some of my, you know, I don't keep good contact, and I quit Facebook. So, you know, it, Dean Miller, bless his heart, would be the one. Somebody would always reach out and be like, "I wonder if Alan knows what's going on," and, and it, you know, it was Dean. Otherwise, I would have never even known. Um, but uh, and I think we talked about it as well. But. This conversation I had with him was before he got sick, and he was in good spirits. And even before that, we, we met up, um, and we had lunch together. I, I saw him playing the open mic night, like um, somewhere in Chandler, some biker bar in Chandler, Julie's or something, or Julie's. And um, we talked a little bit there, and we met up, we had lunch. I told him what I was into with computers and computer science and how, how that road was economically successful for me. And I showed him one of my little computers. and what I was into and he, he talked about how hard his last relationship was um, with, with his previous wife that died um, and how he had just been to the ringer. I mean, I don't know if he ever really recovered from that. I think that was, uh, and he was just telling me all about it, but you know, when Ethan tells you a story, it could be the saddest goddamn story ever. And the, the slowest French black and white drama of a story. And, and you don't think you could extract the laugh out of it. And Ethan would fucking tell it in a way where you could just laugh at the most miserable human conditions on the planet, you know? <laughs> and, and he would just, even if he couldn't 
if even there was no direct joke about it, he'd be like just telling me some of the shit that happened to him and, and I don't even know what to say to that stuff. I mean, what do you say to some of the things that people go through? Yeah. You, you can't you can't own it. You don't understand it. You can just be gobsmacked at it and be like, what the hell? How? Why? How? Why? How long? What what, what was that? You know, like, I'm so sorry. Um, but he was still Ethan on the inside. He still had that, that engine, that beating passion to, like, just walk down the street and to look forward to something and to do the next fucking thing, whatever it fucking was, no matter how harebrained the idea was. It was just, and we're going to do that. And I got, and uh, he was telling me about how he was going to work with you. And he was finally going to, like, tap into your song skills and, and get some of his music going and stuff. And I, I think you told me about that as well. Um, and he, he told me how he was excited about that. And I gave him a big hug and told him I loved him and, and we left and then we had that phone call and that was, that was 2020, you know, that was the last, uh, that was the last of it. Before I let you go today, um, cause I've had you here so long, you've been so generous with your time so far, but before I let you go, I have one more question for you. And, um, you know, if I had Ethan with, here with me right now and you had a chance to talk to him one last time, you know, just what would you say to him? Oh, man, that's a tough one. I don't know if I could get through that without just crying because I feel his, you know, just experiencing him and, and playing in those bands was so meaningful for me. It, it was my life capsule, you know. It was how I got through life. It was how I, you know, interacting with him. And and the whole band thing was was just, it was a way of life. It was like belonging to a, a religious group of monks who needed a certain situation to practice and just needed a little bit of money out of it. But, but we were really just going for the gusto. We needed that validation on stage or whatever it was, it, whatever compelled us to do it. Um, I don't even know if I'd have new or different words from it unless it was like, you know, sometimes I feel bad that maybe a few of us didn't get together and like have an intervention or something, you know, like that, like, like he deserved a, a chance to, for all that stuff. But in the end, you know, I guess if it was, if it was COVID that did him in or, you know, years of, of the, the same kind of drinking patterns that I think a lot of us display, but, but somehow escape all of the worst consequences. So <clears throat> I would just, I would just hug him. I don't know what there would be to say, except for, you know, maybe we let him down a little bit by not understanding you know, he may have been struggling worse than, than we thought and, and given that, that hook or that opportunity uh, of, of an intervention um, or, just thank him for the time we were able to spend with him, you know? No. no, I'm with you, man. Well, Alan, thanks, man. You know, it was great talking to you. You know, I was telling uh, some of the other guys that I was going to be talking to you, and they're like, no way, how'd you get, <laughs> how'd you get Alan to agree to something like that, you know, because you're – you're notoriously known for not wanting to talk on the phone too long. Or Ethan was kind of like that too, though. I remember, well, he was just always so busy, you know, that I I'd call him and he never had more than a couple minutes, but you know, when you and I first met, I remember calling you 
you were so, um, you had so much candor, dude, but you, you did it in a way that, well, you were just, you're just you, you know, like I remember being on the phone and I'd ask you a question and we're going to, you go, you'd say something like, man, you know, this phone conversation is getting a little too long for me, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> How about uh, how about we just catch up later? I'll, I'll see you at Martina Ranch on Thursday. We can talk some more or whatever. <laughs> so, you know, and but I understand it, dude. You know, like you always got something on your mind. You're always doing something. Your brain's constantly going. You know, from the years that I've observed you and been around you, I mean, you just have a brilliant, brilliant mind that never stops. I mean, to you, dude, when I met you, uh, the first time you took me to your house, you had a whole room set up for fly fishing. And you were making all these fly fishing baits. And then, then like a couple months later, um, you clear all the fishing stuff and you had all these amplifiers like totally taken apart and you were building all these amplifiers. And next thing I knew you were selling like this amp you had created. And then, I mean, it was just, you know, on top of all the gear that you had for recording and your guitar stuff. And I mean, you were just, you, you know, so you're always really busy. So I really appreciate you taking the time and, Congratulations on your new, the new phase of your life. And it seems like you're really enjoying the coding stuff and, and where you're living now. And it seems like you're doing well, man. Well, you as well, Chris, I'm sure thankful for the time that we spent together and, and our continued connection as we, uh, as we grow into our, you know, gray years yeah. or our old aging years, man, we hit it hard and I'm thankful for, everything i think that's probably the best takeaway is to like once you find the gratitude i think you can find the future you know so like um looking back and all the neat things that happened to us and and it's those little things right like you thinking that i did something great by introducing you to ethan or whatever like it's it's the little things the things that i thought were important when i was doing them you know maybe maybe they were maybe they weren't but when you hear about interactions, the way you've helped people's in their lives or just stayed out of the way or whatever, that's, that's the real juice. That's the real, you know, benefit. Like to think that just some little things that we did along the way were impactful to other people. It's, it's just amazing. Yeah. And I want to say the same to you, man. I mean, I've already, I've already thanked you in our own private conversations, but I just really appreciate you being so cool and introducing me to so many cool people. And, you know, you know, seven or eight years after I moved to Phoenix and met you one time, we were talking on the phone and you said to me, Hey man, you know, I just want to say that, uh, that you do a really good job and, and I'm proud of you. Like, and that just meant so much to me, man, because, because I always wanted to make you guys proud, like, like a younger brother would to his big brother or something like that. And you guys were all about two, three years older than me, you know? So I looked up to you. So when you said that, it just meant a lot to me, Alan. So I, I really appreciate your friendship over the years and i'm glad we we're able to keep in touch man and you're so nice this uh this ethan thing and you know what a guy i just I googled him on on the internet and, it, and that uh, new times thing come up you know oh, yeah and he never really got a, a proper can you imagine who would have showed up you know if it wasn't for covid can you imagine you'd have to throw a freaking rock concert to, to host all of his friends i can just imagine the get together that that's going to be, man, and who's going to be there and the crazy times and the music that's going to be played and the stories that are going to be shared. Chris, you're so nice to do this. And um, I love to, 
I love the banter with you and, and all the memories. It, it makes me feel connected to my past, you know, like I'm not just a rolling stone out here. You know, I got a long history and a lot of people that, that we've interacted with that we can, because I definitely am, like you said, I'm a little hands off, right? When I go do my thing, I go down a tunnel, but, uh, but all the people that I care about, they're, they're this far from my heart. Like, you know, I could not talk to you for five years right. and don't worry, you know, like we'll pick it up because you're, you're there, you're in there and time is just, time is whatever time is, but we're all compressed into our experiences and there's no, time doesn't fade some of those, those strong memories. Those are awesome words and that's a good, good place to put a pin in it, Alan. Thank you, man. All right. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Love you, man. Love you too. Bye. I enjoyed my talk with Alan, and I feel as though he was coming from a genuine place full of emotions and mourning for his good friend. Toward the end of our conversation, Alan expressed some regret at not having an intervention with Ethan. Now, when I left Arizona in 2010, Ethan seemed to be in a pretty good place. So I wasn't close enough to him to watch his day to day and see the trials and tribulations that he was going through in his life. All I saw, felt and heard were the positive interactions. And now that I have been talking to several people about Ethan, I am just now starting to understand and know about all of the stuff that he went through during the last 10 years or so of his life. I feel as though Ethan did his best to cope with those situations, even if his coping mechanism wasn't the healthiest for him. But it truly is a testament to just how special of a person he was, that even through those dark times, he would maintain and deepen his relationships with the people he loved. I wish I could give you some social media handles so that you could keep up with Alan, but he doesn't really do the social media thing anymore. So probably the best way to contact him is through an email, a text, or a phone call. And I'm sure that he'd love to hear from those of you who know him. If you no longer have his contact information and would like to reach out to him, feel free to contact me through Ethan's Facebook page at Remembering Ethan Podcast. I'd like to leave you today with a song from Alan Chadwick off of an EP that he released around 2001 or 2002. And it's my favorite song off of that EP titled Spring. Now, I still have the CD that Alan gave me about 20 years ago. It's been a long time and the files on the CD have degraded over the years. But I still love the song, so hopefully... Um, even through the poor audio quality, you can appreciate the music. Thanks for joining, and we'll see you soon.